Hello Parkview, this is Devin Neese, your Communications Director, and I want to welcome you to the group's podcast. This episode is for the week of September 18th to 24th. Our goal each week is to inform and guide group members and train group leaders to make disciples of Jesus. This week, we are continuing our series in Luke with Luke 3, 23 through 4, 15. During our training segment, we'll be doing a brief recap of the kickoff event we had this past Sunday and what it can look like to set goals with your group members for growth, because as we say, Community groups make whole disciples by cultivating an environment of relational safety where the spiritual initiative of the group leads to the growth of each member. Let's dive in. So we've got a few things to share in our informed segment this week. As a whole church forming whole disciples, we're always looking for ways to grow and equip leaders in the church. Ministry is not possible if only staff are leading, so we need faithful leaders like our dear community group leaders and others to step up and lead. Here are some places where you can lead. Our production team. This might seem backward because the production team is behind cameras, screens, and soundboards. But the production team leads in creating an environment of worship for us every Sunday at both campuses. You do not have to have a PhD in sound engineering either. One of our most needed positions at Central right now is projection, which is as simple as pressing a key on a computer keyboard. Another way that you can lead is as a community group leader. Well, most of you are listening to this and are already community group leaders, but as Thomas mentioned at our kickoff event, we need more community group leaders to add more group options for interested people. So keep your eye out in your groups for members of your group that may be eligible and ready to take on leading their own group. As always, you can find both of these these opportunities linked in the show notes. And with that, let's move on to our passage. All right, as we do in the guide segment, we're going to get a big big picture of the passage, navigate any speed bumps, and identify a few places to land an application. We're in Luke 3, 23 through 4, 15, preparing for the sermon this Sunday, September 24th. We're starting out with Jesus' genealogy, so apologies in advance for any mispronounced names. Let's dive in. Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph. So, already a couple things here. 30 years of age, that seems to be about the age that, in the Jewish culture, a man was considered of full maturity, and that is also when priests could begin their service at 30 years of age. And so that's an interesting note there, um, just about his age. And then the as was supposed, as also just referencing, um, obviously we know that Jesus is the result of a virgin birth, and so Joseph is not biologically his father. Um, but this genealogy, as we'll discuss a little bit later, does follow Joseph's line, his family line. Um, and so that's kind of pointing to that there, that as was supposed of Joseph, telling us that this is Joseph's family line. Um, so the son of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Jani, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Aisley, the son of Nagai, the son of Math, the son of Mattathias, the son of Semyon, the son of Josech, the son of Jodah, the son of Joannan, the son of Risa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adai, the son of Kosam, the son of Elmadam, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua, the son of Eliezer, the son of Joram, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of jo- Jonam, the son of Eliakim, the son of Mileah, the son of Mena, the son of Metatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salah, the son of Nashon, the son of Aminadab, the son of Admin, 
the son of Arnai, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Ru, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalaleel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. All right, that's a lot of names. Um, it may come up in your group that this genealogy and the genealogy in Jesus uh, of Jesus in Matthew 1 do not exactly match. It's believed that Matthew is following Mary's family line. Um, this uh, discrepancy you'll see between David and Jesus. Um, and in Luke, we're working backward from Jesus back to God. And in Matthew, we're working forward from Abraham to Jesus, um, but it's from David and onward, like towards Jesus, that we're seeing that differentiation. Um, but that's just because Matthew was following Mary's family line towards David, and Luke was following Joseph's family line toward David. So that's one of those things that might catch people up. Uh, it's also interesting to note that Matthew's audience was primarily Jewish, and he originates Jesus's family with Abraham. Well, Luke's audience was primarily Gentile, and his purpose was to show that the gospel was for all people, not just Jews. Therefore, we see here that he draws Jesus' family line back to Adam, the father of all mankind, um, and then God, obviously. And um, just a note on genealogies. It's not the most fun thing you're going to read in your Bible. There's some interesting names. You might get some baby name ideas or anything. Um, but we know that they have been preserved all this time in our Bible for a reason. And here, one reason that's been given um, is just to provide credibility for Jesus, that he was a real human being grounded in real history with a real family. Um, so let's move on. Excuse me. <coughs> We're all a little under the weather over here, so bear with me. Um, and moving on to verse 4. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days. All right, a few being tempted by the devil. We'll stop there. A few notes here, just as we get started. I think it's important to take a step back and remember where we're at in the storyline. We've been jumping around a little bit because we got a full picture of John the Baptist and then got a full picture of Jesus, whereas if you're reading this just from Luke 1.1 1, 1 through now we're in 4.4, you would be kind of jumping back and forth between John and Jesus. Um, but right before this is Jesus' baptism. So if we remember, and we're actually going to pulling it up right now. We're going to go back and read just kind of the end of his baptism. So now when all the people, this is in uh, Luke 3 verse 21, now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Then we have that genealogy and then right after that we have Jesus's temptation. Um, so it's important to root ourselves there, and um, we just saw the, the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove, so Jesus being full of the Holy Spirit is not necessarily a new thing in this story, but rather he is empowered by the Holy Spirit, and then we see led by the Spirit into the wilderness, and um, yeah, speaking of him being led into the wilderness, it's important to note that this was part of God's plan for Jesus, and it's before he begins his ministry intentionally, um, we just saw, again, his baptism where he identified with humans in baptism. Jesus didn't need to be cleansed from sin because we know he is pure and perfect. But he identifies with us in that. That's why we have the practice of 
Baptism and us identifying now with Jesus through his death and resurrection, we symbolize that in baptism as our coming to life from death. Um, he identified with us first in that way. And now he's drawn by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted and to identify with us again in our experience of temptation to sin. But it is important to clarify, and we'll see in our passage, that he, um, as Hebrews 4.15 tells us, he was tempted in every way as we were, but without sin. So it is possible to be tempted and not sin. Um, And Jesus is a perfect example of that. And we also see here just a connection to the Israelites and their wilderness wandering. They wandered in the wilderness due to their disobedience for 40 years um, and before they came to the promised land. Remember in Deuteronomy, we're finally hearing kind of Moses' last speech as they're on the threshold of the promised land and he recounts all of their time together. Um, And now we see Jesus here. He's spending 40 days in obedience, complete and perfect obedience to the Lord. He's fasting and being tempted, um, and he comes out of the wilderness stronger for it, um, as we will see. All right, let's keep going. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. Now, I thought this was kind of confusing the way that the story is situated. It says they were ended, and then it tells us three different instances of him being tempted. These three uh, instances are examples or highlights, if you will, of what the temptation was like that the devil did to Jesus during the 40 days. It's not that they were ended, he was hungry, and then the devil did all these things. Um, But obviously, 40 days is a long time. He was probably hungry a lot earlier than 40 days into it. So we'll keep going here. Um, So yeah, the days were ended, but this next chunk of verses is actually before the the 40 days in the wilderness is over. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command the stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be all yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands you will bear up. He, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. All right, let's go back. There's a couple of notes I have on this section. I just wanted to get kind of the whole picture of these three different examples. So this starting out, you know, the devil says, If you are the Son of God, uh, just important to note that the devil's not doubting who Jesus is. He knows that Jesus is the Son of God. It's more of him saying, since you're the Son of God, prove yourself and use you know, your godly power to command the stone to be bred and uh, eventually to throw yourself down from the tower because you'll be saved by the angels. Um, we'll get to that a little bit more. Um, but yeah, Satan knows who Jesus is. He's not, he's not guessing or asking, like testing Jesus' authority. He knows... He's kind of saying, prove it. Um, And all of these temptations that Satan is giving towards Jesus is he's goading Jesus towards selfish sinfulness. Jesus' whole purpose is um, selfless obedience to the Father. And he responds with scripture as his his weapon against temptation. Um, And then on that second temptation, 
of giving him all of the kingdoms of the world, you're, you might be asking, or some of your group members might be asking, well, what gives the devil the right? You know, we we know and we believe that God is the king of the universe. Um, and this is an interesting note uh, from a commentator I was reading, David Guzik. Satan claimed that authority over the earth's kingdoms was delivered to him, and Jesus never challenged that statement, so that's interesting to note. Um, we might say that Adam and all of his collective descendants delivered to Satan when God gave man dominion over the earth, and Adam and his descendants forfeited it to Satan. So God gave humans, gave Adam dominion over the earth, and then we fell into sin. Adam and Eve committed that original sin. And we forfeited um, kind of the authority over the kingdoms to Satan. Now we obviously know ultimately all things belong to the Lord. And um, right now we're living in a fallen world where the devil does have a certain level of hold. Um, but that just might be important to clarify if people are wondering why didn't you know Jesus be like, nothing belongs to you. Um, that we do see a certain level of um, the devil working in and through kingdoms of the world or countries or however you want to um, phrase that these days. So that's an interesting thing to note. And then um, I just thought that this was fun. Then in Jesus's response there in 4.8, in the KJV version actually says, get thee behind me, Satan. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God. Um, and just, I remember that from when Peter's like, Jesus, you're not going to go die. Get behind me, Satan. Um, just kind of remembering that and that anything that is against the Lord's will and the Lord's plan is outside of his plan and is of the enemy. Um, and then with this third example, you know, cast yourself down from up here on the temple. Satan uses God's word against Jesus. And you might be thinking, huh, that's interesting. It's important to remember that Satan knows God's word. We can think back again to Genesis 1 to the garden, or Genesis 3, sorry, Genesis 3 um, in the garden and how all of this started. Did God really say, the serpent says to Eve, did God really say, so he's taking God's word and he's twisting it for his own advantage, for his own gain. Um, and so that's what's happening here. But we see then Jesus's response is properly using God's word in context. Um, whereas Satan's two examples are out of context. I believe that they come from a variety of Psalms. Um, and they're just out of context. They're not accurately applied there. So th that's kind of what's going on with the temptations. Um, from my understanding, I'm excited to hear what, I believe we have Pastor Thomas at Central and Pastor Len at East, um, what they share and how we can learn more from this passage. Um, but then let's continue on to the little, little end we have here of our passage. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out throughout all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So again, we hear, see here Jesus, uh, he returned in the power of the Spirit. Um, and so well, Jesus just, you know, was in the wilderness. He's hungry. You would think that he would be weak. Um, but here he's showing strength. He's showing power because of the Holy Spirit inside of him. And so we know that Jesus's victory over the temptation in the wilderness actually strengthened him and prepared him to begin his ministry. And so I think that that's an important thing to Note there that the temptation and this, this wilderness season for Jesus actually strengthened him. Um, and we'll come back to that in application. Um, and then just at the very end there, we see that at the beginning of Jesus's ministry, he did not experience opposition like we'll see a lot in the next coming chapters. But rather he was welcomed uh, into the synagogues to teach. And then he was also glorified by all, as the text says. 
Um, so just some things to note about as Jesus begins his ministry, what things look like for him. So that's our passage for this week. And I just think that the big idea, I mean, we have kind of two different sections here. We have the genealogy and we talked about, you know, that's there to give us credibility, um, to give um, readers credibility for Jesus, that he was a real person in a real place at a real time with a real family. Um, but then I'm going to focus more on the second chunk in Jesus's temptation and what the big idea is there. So the big idea that I'm seeing is that we resist the temptation of the enemy by the Holy Spirit and God's word, the Holy Spirit and God's word. Those are our tools. Those are our weapons against temptation. And we see Jesus clearly doing that in this passage, and we are called to pattern our lives after his. So how can we apply these principles to our lives? How might we discuss this or things that might come up in your group discussion? So it's really important first, obviously, to know your Bible in context. Um, So it's important that we're reading the Word of God, that we know the Word of God, um, but not just that we know it, but we also know how to properly, appropriately, (laughs) properly, appropriately, and properly use and apply it. As we see in Jesus' temptation, Satan knows God's Word too. We need to be better students of God's Word than our enemy, so that when temptation comes, we can resist the devil and he will flee from us, which is uh, James 4-7, which we studied this summer. And then the other tool there is the Holy Spirit. So don't try to power through temptation on your own. Jesus gave us his Holy Spirit, and I would argue, you know, we're meeting in community groups and community as a guide. I mean, Jesus is fighting temptation on his own, but he is the Son of God, and he's perfect and can do that. Um, But we are given the Holy Spirit and given Christian community as uh, help tools um, to understand his word and to strengthen and encourage one another in the midst of temptation to check in Um, and yeah, to help each other out as fellow believers and then the Holy Spirit as that guide to illuminate the word to us, to help us to apply it properly and to use it against temptation. Then I think it's also helpful just to remind ourselves and to see that Jesus um, was brought out into a season of wilderness by the Spirit. I know that I can personally sometimes feel like the wilderness seasons are uh, just a complete attack on me that I can tend towards being just a really big complainer when I'm going through hard things. Uh, But it can be helpful to just zoom out, take a step back. It's really hard, but it is helpful to just take that step back and remind yourself and others you see around you that God is still working and doing something in your life. Um, Even if you're in a season of wilderness, you might be using that to strengthen you as he used this season to strengthen Jesus. Um, And so you, you might need that encouragement yourself or we can encourage one another Um, of those things that we see in each other's lives. And with that said, we'll move on to our training segment. Let's try that again. All right, as promised, we're doing a quick recap of the community group kickoff we had this past Sunday. If you were there, this will be a bit redundant, so don't feel like you have to stick around. But I'm here with Pastor Will. Hello. Who is actually my community group leader. He and his wife, Savannah, lead our new young adults group that launched back in August. And we're just going to be sharing a bit of the training that Pastor Thomas gave and how our group discussion led to some goals and practical steps for our group this next year. So, Pastor Will, <laughs> just Great. calling you that to Please don't. annoy you. Let's dive in. Yeah, so uh, it was a really sweet time last night. Uh, it was a time we got about 100 group leaders and members. Um, many different groups get together, uh, ate together, uh, got to just enjoy some friendship. It was good to see Lots people of dessert. Not, yeah, lots of dessert. Honestly, if you probably stop by this week at church, you, you will can just get free dessert. So much for left. Sure. 
uh, just in the kitchen. Stop by, grab some. Uh, but Thomas kind of gave us some, reminded us of the vision of community groups, um, how we are aiming to make whole disciples by cultivating an environment of relational safety where the spiritual initiative of the group leads to the growth of each member. So he spent some time reviewing what those words mean, how to continue to cultivate relational safety. What was it? 164 hours of, Yeah, that's what that's he said. There was a study that was done that it takes 164 hours for you to spend with somebody to feel comfortable. Um, ho- hopefully that's not the case for everyone, you know, to make a friend. Yeah. To make a friend. And we want to uh, be friends with our community group members. Absolutely. And so, uh, yeah, you just talked about what it looks like to, um, yeah, grow that relational safety, that ability to be vulnerable. You know, we have to be, his ta- or one of the, his lines that I love is that if you're not real friends, you can't be real sinners, that you are then just a theoretical sinner because you're not getting to a place where you are able to be personal and able to be vulnerable. And so want to be cultivating that environment of relational safety, um, but then where the spiritual initiative of each of the group. So just think that's so important that it's not just, it's how can we take that uh, a level deeper? And so, you know, it's not just throwing out uh, truth, you know, things about the text, um, not just saying, um, oh, this is good, but, and then talking about how can this actually apply? So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, and I liked too, like if we don't have spiritual initiative and we just have relational safety, then we're just a book club. Yep. Or just, you know, anyone can do that. But in community groups, we have that specific aim of helping each other grow through our spiritual initiative. Yeah. yeah super important. So yeah, we landed um, in kind of two spots. We talked about group growth. How can we grow together as a group? Um, creating that culture. We have that mission statement, but we have to actually apply that to each individual group. And that's going to look different um, in each group, depending on who is in the group. And then also on to personal growth. So what's a goal that we each personally have to grow as a grow, want to grow in as a whole disciple this semester? And um, being able to share those with each other in group, I think that we can help each other achieve those goals, remind each other, keep each other accountable. Accountable Again, that's where like that spiritual initiative comes into play. Um, so do you have any like highlights from our group discussion mm. or maybe share about what our group goal is? Yeah. I can remember. <laughs> yeah, I think um, our group, especially I feel like last night was valuable for because even though we didn't have everyone there, um, we're still a new group. And mm-hmm. so it was good to... Um, just spend time figuring out, uh, kind of, yeah, how we can grow, you know? So, um, I know there's some groups out there who have spent that 164 hours mm-hmm. together. Um, you know, those faithful, uh, groups, yeah, who've been meeting for many, many years, um, have that time invested. Um, but we, you know, some of us, we have been together for four hours. <laughs> and so, <laughs> yep. uh, so it's just, um, I think th- this was a really sweet time for, I think our group, but I think groups as a whole, just to remember why, um, we do what we do and to make sure that we are setting goals. So, um, to like actually see growth. And so, yeah, I think, uh, a lot of the kind of ways that Thomas encouraged us were, um, especially in that, uh, or I think, and especially applicable to our group were the growth in, uh, relational safety, just because that's where we're still at. And so, I mean, our goal was to have, um, one time per month outside of group, just hangout time, just fun yep. time, whether that's you know, it doesn't mean everyone has to be there from the group, but, but it does mean that, you know, it's like, how can we be spending time with each other as friends that we're not just 
uh, friends who go to a group together, but friends outside of that group mm-hmm. as well. So, um, yeah, because it would it would have taken us eighteen months <laughs> meeting for one hour a week. Yeah, which we meet for two hours, that. so that's that's yes, only so it would only take us nine months. Nine months. It's a while. <laughs> it is. Yeah. So we would just want to be spending time um, outside a group together in order to, yeah, continue to just make become better friends. And so mm-hmm. that was our kind of step of growth. And then I know just the um, it was also good for then thinking about. We didn't talk about this much as a group, but then in context of that group goal, if that's our kind of our goal for our group, which it can change or flex or whatever, mm-hmm. but because um, some of my group members might be hearing this for the first time. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, the then the thinking about is like, okay, what, how can I specifically yeah. contribute to that goal? And so, you know, it might just be showing up to those things or, you know, maybe it's the initiating. I know you were mm-hmm. saying, oh, I'm going to have a bonfire or yeah. whatever it is. So, yeah. Um, we talked about the the taking you deeper questions, like what's that level deeper that we can get to? Because relational safety is not just staying on the surface level of like, how was your day? Good. The weather's weird. Um, all right. That's the end of our conversation. But actually like, oh, how'd the weather affect you? <laughs> or uh, I'm working on it. That's one of my goals. So I'm not good at asking yeah. questions. <laughs> so. But I feel like, yeah, even just to brag on our group right now, it's just, I feel like we've done a good job of doing that mm-hmm. already, of getting that level deeper and, you know, uh, already wanting to spend that time outside a group together. So. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And for those personal goals, just uh, another plug for our whole disciples resources. If you go to parkviewchurch.org slash resources, if any, if you or any of your group members are struggling to develop those personal goals, you can go there and find there's a ton of resources, but it'll also just help remind you what those different areas are. I find the areas of, um, what do you call them? Domains of each trait. Is that right? Who knows? You made up the language. So uh, we're going to go. I, okay. We're gonna <laughs> or maybe go Thomas did. I don't remember. Um, but we know, uh, yeah. I guess it'll help. We'll go back through the definition. A whole disciple is a forgiven of child, forgiven child of God who is taking the next step to learn, love, and live Jesus. And within those three, learn, love, and live, we have three domains that you can kind of grow in. And it's helpful to see those um, so you can see those, yeah, on that webpage and kind of get an idea of maybe I need to grow in submitting to God's word and what does that look like? Or maybe I need to grow in inviting others to take the next step. Maybe it's inviting someone to group with you one time this semester something like that. Um, and so, yeah, if you weren't there on Sunday, we just encourage you to um, make those goals as a group. Um, you can use maybe some time in your upcoming meeting um, to encourage your group members first to come prepared uh, with a goal to share. Again, we can have that accountability and group and that encouragement of helping each other achieve these goals. Um, and then as a group, you can kind of decide what that goal would be for your group if you did not get a chance to this past week. And I think it's especially just to hop in real quick as this is, you know, we might have, this is time designated for both leaders, but also um, everyone. But Mm -hmm. I think specifically for leaders, I know this will be a challenge for me as I uh, continue to grow in this role is just following up on that. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not, again, that the reason the statement is phrased the way it is, is that where the spiritual initiative of the group leads to the growth of each member, you know, spiritual initiative of the group. So it's not the leader's sole responsibility, but as Thomas has been talking out on here about the couple past few weeks, I guess, is just that, you know, as a leader, you need to have, there is, there is a level of accountability and need to know where your people are at and where they hope to be in the future. And so, um, you know, I, I hope to, uh, part of it was that I took notes on what kind of the group members said last night. I'm going to be praying for those things. And Savannah and I will be praying for those things and we'll be following up. And so I think that's, uh, those personal growth, uh, goals will be good both for, you know, I can have my group hold me accountable and, uh, that, 
I can help um, hold some of the group members accountable as well and just wanting to grow in Christ-likeness. All right. Any last words? No. All right. That's it. We'll see you guys Sunday, if not sooner. (laughs) 